Uh, very good morning to you. It is uh, 17 minutes to nine o'clock. It's Money Talk with James Ross. In Your Money Today, Carolyn Wright continues her dive into the lessons we should still be learning from crises across financial history. And this time, she's going way back. Uh, good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. In Your Money Today, I'm joined again by Richard Harris, the CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management, to continue our discussion looking at how we should be learning lessons from financial history. And this time, we're going to delve back into some serious financial history. Thanks for joining me again, Richard. That's always my pleasure. So I think today you're going to teach us a little bit about bubbles via tulips in 17th century Holland and one specific single company, right? Well, stock market bubbles are always the most interesting part of the financial markets, although it can be very dangerous to one's wealth, um, partly because we learn so much from them. You know, in a normal stock market, things go, people buy, people sell. Um, but the bubbles are the times when we really will learn a lot and when things changes, you know, bubbles can often bring down uh, political parties uh, and change history. So uh, they are pretty important to study and pretty important to focus on. OK, so let's delve back into this history and, and tell us the tulips speculation is something that is referred to a lot of the time, but maybe not everybody knows what happened. So what did happen? Well, basically, everybody started betting on tulips. Now, uh, tulips, of course, are, are very pretty flowers, um, uh, and they come out e each year. There the really was a bet on the bulbs and how good the bulbs would turn out. But the interesting thing about tulip mania uh, in Holland was that it wasn't just focused on a few exotic flowers. It was focused on everything. And people dived into them uh, and the price of tulips went up to an enormous amount until, of course, they finally crashed. Um, that was actually in 1638. Uh, but there's also the South Sea bubble, which a lot of people have heard about. And that happened in 1717. But the most interesting one, I think, happened around that time as well, which was really started by a man called John Law, who was a formula gambler turned stockbroker, and you've heard that one before, oh, I... who actually ended up uh, convincing the Duke of Orléans, uh, who was the regent of France at the time, uh, not only to set up a company that was a bit like a modern bank today, where basically they took the assets of the French state and issued bonds against them. Um, but they did it against a company, a little bit like the South Sea Company, but the Louisiana Company. Uh, and at the time, France held something like a quarter of what is today's United States. And people went into this investment thinking that they would get a lot of profits from Louisiana. At the end of the day, they didn't really get any profits. Um, a lot of bonds were issued Many of the uh, French uh, nobility sacrificed their estates to buy these things. And of course, three, two or three years later, it collapsed. That actually ended up with the French not going into paper money for pretty well nearly 100 years. And actually, you can trace it through to the French Revolution as well. So it shows that these bubbles are very important, not only economically, but they can also change history. Absolutely. Now, in each case, it sounds like there was a lot of people trying to make a lot of money. But why didn't they see it coming at the time? Well, there were two things. First of all, there was uh, the red mist descended. And, you know, when prices go up, then people get interested. You know, prices attract prices and you get uh, a bubble in that one when prices go up. 
people forget about the value that they're actually buying, you know, so they will buy more of something, even if the value coming out of it isn't likely to be too much. Um, but the real issue was that because of this greed, if you like, from buyers, um, the sellers of these bonds kept selling more and more. And why not? Every time you give somebody a piece of paper, and it very maybe a very nice piece of paper, maybe has some very nice printing on it. Um, uh, if it goes up, then you can carry on doing it. And Law's problem was that he didn't really know when to stop. He issued more and more paper. That's called money supply. Uh, we hear a lot about money supply in today's markets. Now you mentioned there that the the the, the crash after this bubble in the, the Louisiana situation led to the the French being quite scared of using paper money. So that's one way the uh, the system reacted. So why was that? Is that just because too much paper was issued and, like you say, money supply became a problem and they realised that they you know they shouldn't be doing this? Yes, that's right. And I think the difference. Uh, with law compared to many of the other things was it was really the first truly international bubble. You know, people were bankrupted all over Europe um, as a result of this. Uh, and at the end of the day, Louisiana was never really developed. But there are a couple of interesting things that law did. One of them was uh, he established a city in Louisiana called New Orleans, which actually pandered to the ego of the Duke of Orleans, of course. His name's um, so there. <laughs> today, even today, we have evidence of what Law did when he first tried to start fractional banking. <laughs> so let's um, look at what the lessons are that should have been learned at the time and clearly haven't been learned because the same kind of situations have happened time and time again. So how can we see a bubble coming? And, you know... Where do you kind of get out of that when you're like, whoa, 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 everything's going great, great. I'm making money. I'm making money. Well, that's right. This dominant narrative just goes through that people have to dive in. But there are often voices out there that sort of say, you know, this is crazy. This is mad. Um, even Jonathan Swift, the famous uh, author uh, of the time, was saying, you know, this is just crazy that people are going into this money. Uh, that actually didn't stop him losing a lot of money as well. Um, but you really get this um, red mist. There are voices out there and they do need to be listened to. And there are lessons, too, from history that when things go too far, uh, you know, maybe it'll go uh, too much. If you look today, we're currently in a bull market in most Western markets that started about last October. You remember last year was really quite weak. People worry about inflation. This year, the markets have gone ballistic. And there are some signs out there that people are saying, hold on, this has gone too far. The U.S. market is up 25, 26, 27 percent since October. Maybe it's about the time the market should come back. Those are the dormant narratives that we should be listening to in a bubble. OK, so where someone says, hang on, these valuations seem a little bit beyond what they should be. Yes, but also, of course, in a bubble, valuations continue uh, and people want to jump on the bandwagon. And it's that wonderful phrase, FOMO, fear of missing out. People don't really miss out. And of course, what everybody says is, don't worry, I'll get out right to the top. And we never do. <laughs> yeah. And that's where it all goes wrong. So that's a bit of proper history of, of the financial world. Let's go back 
come back to the present next time around, taking a look around the crypto world and exactly what's been happening there and how much FOMO is going on in that market. That's Richard Harris, CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management. Thank you.